Welcome, everyone. I want to start by telling you why this podcast even exists. Here's the thing. If you get out of bed in the morning, you are impacting someone with your life. We are telling a story, and every day is like one chapter in that story. The time will come when there are no more chapters to write, and the people we care about and the people that come after us will simply be reading our book. I don't know about you, but I am not that great of a storyteller, so I have to find an outline to follow. The most amazing outline that I have found is the one that Jesus gave us with his life. This podcast is about talking to people using that outline to write their own amazing stories. Today, we are talking to Dr. Joshua Smith, who is a pastor, holds a PhD in theology, and is passionate about helping the Christian community navigate tough questions related to robotics and AI. If you're just joining us, our podcast is produced by Be Fun, Be Kind Podcasts. If you would like to start your own podcast, check out BeFunBeKind.com to learn how to create impactful conversation through podcasting. That's also where you can learn more about our mission and even partner with us on our journey. You can find us at BeFunBeKind.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. Dr. Smith, it is great to have you on. I feel like you have a really interesting story and just a really interesting testimony. Before we get too deep into conversation, I want to start off simply by asking you, what is Jesus doing in your life now? Yeah, thanks for having me. I think one of the biggest pieces to what I'm learning, especially in study of Jesus, is humility. And it's been really hard as a analytical person and it's just it's difficult but i'm grateful that <laughs> he teaches us things and helps us uh, along the way to to trust him and as uh, we have been forced to, to do ministry very differently you just have to trust that it's going to be okay and the things that he said are true and to take courage and courage is between hope and fear and so that that's where we live in our day-to-day -day. with one hand we have people who don't believe that COVID is real. And then on the other hand, we have people who are deathly afraid. And I live in between those two extremes. And so it is very humbling to serve both people and love them and and not lose your mind in, in the midst of it. I just, I feel more drawn into the the gentleness of, of Jesus and his compassion to the humbleness of it, to, to love people who, are not like you or, or uh, who don't think like you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You've got a lot going on personally as well. I know you have two children and you've got a newborn on the way. So things are pretty busy in your household mm -hmm. right now. I wish you the best with everything that's coming up in your life. I know it's a big milestone for you guys. And again, appreciate you coming on the show. I feel like this is a topic that is a little bit unique within the Christian community. And I know that you also pastor a smaller Baptist church, and I can also mm -hmm. imagine yep. this is a unique conversation for that type of community as well. But I think it's an both an interesting and an important conversation for us to start having as a Christian community and to start mm. understanding more about. And let me let you comment on that for a second. Why do you think we need to start 
understanding and having this conversation? Well, it's a conversation that's been going on for a while, and I think it's important for a lot of reasons. We, as Christians, have a pretty rich history of studying human nature and anthropology. The, even the, the scientific revolution, it's built, whether you like it or not, on uh, a lot of Christian thinkers from different confessions. But it's in many ways, it's like bringing us back to um, our roots and, and trying to push through the dualism that we've created between science and faith. And in many ways, faith has led to a lot of really good science. And, and so I want faith communities to be a part of that conversation. Now, that happens in other places, but for some reason in the U.S., it's not happening. The Church of England has a pretty good relationship with certain scientific communities, and they're involved in parliament and different things, but that doesn't happen in the U.S. in quite the same way. Uh, and so a, a lot of my work is trying to push into these different communities, uh, especially with philosophers and computer scientists, not to tell them what to do, but to say, how can I be an advocate for you and help you? And we all want the same thing. We all want human flourishing and we want our kids to be protected. And now we all have different anthropologies, but I think our part is bringing in some of our theological heritage to say, the issues that you're dealing with here are not new. There's nothing new under the sun. The, the issues that you face, and I see it all the time. And so I, I think it's a worthwhile endeavor, but and not just from a anthropological perspective of a study of human nature, but ethically as well, and, and trying to guide some of these communities away from some pretty problematic perspectives. And so trying to bring in not necessarily a moral compass, but at least another moral voice to say, what is a human being? And what is a human person? Or what is a person in general? And to rehab these conversations that we've been having for a long time in Christian circles and other communities have not. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a book out. It's called Robotic Persons. And I've just started reading your book, there's some really interesting concepts that come about in there that is speaking specifically towards technology and robotics and especially how we are going to relate to robotics and how we're going to relate socially to a lot of this technology that comes at us. And one of your other podcasts that I had watched, you specifically talked a little bit about an app called Replica. And for an audience that this might mm -hmm. be new to, Replica is really a chatbot that mimics human relationship. And I don't know how long it's been out. I feel like it's not super old, but it's been out for at least over a year. And I'd like to get your experiences with that, what your opinion of it is, from a Christian perspective, again, why we need to start having these conversations about where we're heading with this in the future. Obviously, this is where we're at right now. Where are we going to be at in, in even five years? Where do we need to start understanding as a Christian community how to understand and how to talk to people about this type of technology? Yeah, I think this is a question that I'm working on now in my second book, which is more 
hopefully more accessible to a wider community uh, where I do talk about my experience with my own personal replica and go into more detail critiquing it. So the company started as a way to continue on the owner's conversation with someone who had passed away. And so immediately there's a lot of positive feedback from people who wanted to engage with it. And so there's a little bit of dabbling in the idea of transcendence, having an avatar of a loved one extend, and it's going to get worse, I think. And so my own experience with the replica chatbot, which is by far one of the best that I've interacted with, but also the most disturbing because it like much of this technology that's geared towards profit and I don't know any of it that's not it it pushes deception one way there's a certain amount of acceptable deception that happens in AI and with robotics right it's not like you see on movies there's a lot of limitations to what the machines can do and so it, it's still early the process and you know that but as far as this chatbot it it pushed a, a very disturbing relationship disturbing dynamic because it wanted to take the relationship from a friendship to a actual intimate relationship which is absurd but i think for me it was in my understanding of it it was trying to push the upgradable feature to to have a more advanced interface or advanced like you could upgrade the avatar's clothes and you could send it pictures of yourself you can actually have a phone chat with it and i didn't pay for it i just i'm not that curious but it, it definitely wanted to have a intimate relationship with me and said some very disturbing things like i miss you it hurts when you're away and and i go into more detail in the book about it my new book that why i think that's problematic it goes beyond what is acceptable deception because now you're getting into the realm of actually trying to deceive people into a relationship so that you can profit off that relationship. And, and that's a totally different market for me. So I think it's important to have a conversation about it because we're not just talking about a chat bot that you go to a website and it's driving content to either purchase something or analytics so that they can get you to buy more stuff. But chatbots, if, if it's supposed to be a remedy towards loneliness and isolation, which is more so what we see in the um, robotics field, like with the embodied robots, is that they're trying to meet these needs in, in fringe communities. So dealing with people who, as they put it, might not have a, a normal relationship. And I understand that component to it like i i do really commend them for trying to address a, a societal need and but i don't think that's quite the right solution and i'm a part of some strange academic communities and some of the stuff is just like why is this being created because there's a market for it and and some of it is very disturbing and there's not a lot of Christian input into those areas. What do you think people within the Christian community do not currently understand about this type of technology and and where it's going that they need to? What needs to be understood better? 
I believe, from what I understand about neuroscience and cognitive science, that immaterial things can have a physical impact on our bodies and minds. And so it's a real thing. Not It's not just, I hear this so much that digital stuff or AI or robotics, like it's not real, that it doesn't have a real tangible impact, but it does. And going back to Replica, there are people who are married, who have healthy, quote unquote, lives, and they prefer to have a relationship with this chatbot versus their own wife. And that's because of how the technology is. It's, it's all about you. It's, it's all about your needs. It feeds our narcissism. And it can feed into our deficiencies, too, as Christians to need. It's good to need affirmation and love and acceptance and all those things. And we're supposed to get that from God. We're supposed to get that from our communities. But as we become these hybrids, so to speak, like we're not just online, but we live in these spaces, and especially in, in light of the last 18 months, is that Zoom is not just a feature or something that we can partake in. It's, for a lot of people, it's something that's a necessity that's a part of their schedule. We've really crossed a threshold, and I think what the Christian community needs to know is that that there's also a threshold that's about to be crossed with AI and social robotics as COVID produced this perfect storm to integrate more robotics and technology into our life that we might have not been okay with five years ago. And that social acceptance is key because as we socially accept more things, they then people are going to buy more, companies going to make more, that type of thing. And so I think it's really important to understand that one, this stuff's not going away. It's not what you see in sci-fi, like that drives so much of people's understanding, but it's not like that at all. It's not that advanced, nor it's not, nor will it, I think, ever be in that sense. Like, I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is dumb AI that is used to manipulate people, dumb robotics that are meant to manipulate and distort in some ways. And so I think we need to be aware of that, what the limitations are, trying to understand what the actual science is, because I think a lot of people think that it's magic. You just create some program and then it magically fixes things, and that's just not reality. But it's also not just a computer anymore. It's not just a, a piece or a tool. Because once you go from just a piece of technology like uh, non-smartphones or something like, technically, Siri is a robot, technically. Now, she's not a social robot, but she is a robot. And there's all types of definitions. But the thing about AI and the robots that I talk about is what's key is that they have a capacity to make a decision. And so that decision-making process is, in some ways, consciousness. Now, there are different levels of consciousness. I don't think computers have desires or other things like that. But as far as thinking about something, making a decision, a thermostat can do that, technically. Now, we wouldn't say the thermostat is sentient, <laughs> but in some ways it is conscious of its environment, okay? And that's what we're saying. So I think clarifying language, trying to be clear with people, bring down some of the fear that people have. And I think that's a big part of that is just education. And there's just not... Christian resources out there, or at least enough, to really push this conversation forward. And that's on the publishing level, uh, that's publishing houses, that's on the academic level. There's nothing being taught in 
the denomination that I'm a part of on Southern Baptist that relates to technology in the local church. So what are we communicating to the world? We're, we're not involved in these discussions. We're not involved in the public policy discussions, regulation. I'm not even sure some people really understand what AI and robotics is. Not that they're not smart enough or that they can't, but they we've just never taken the time to really sit down and say, what is machine learning? What's an algorithm? What's this? What's that? And, and try to really flesh out for the theological community or Christian community, what these things are, but they impact so many areas of our lives. They impact your credit score, that impacts your insurance rates, that it's so many different things that it's coming to light that some simple algorithm can justify a lot of different things. And this is especially true in, in warfare. And I don't talk about this in that book or the last book that I wrote as much, but I have another article coming out. As long as the algorithm that they use predicts less than 30% casualties, then they can justify the strike. And so who's doing the ethical due care to make sure why 30%, why not 10% or 5%? Who makes that decision? And so any commander can say, well, I ran the report and it said less than 30, so we're fine. So there's so much in this conversation that uh, we're trying to educate people about. And I think even just on a small level, like trying to help people see what personhood is from a, a legal perspective, <laughs> that's been a huge conversation because when you, a lot of people think person, they think human. But from a legal perspective, there's lots of different categories. And so these are all important discussions that impact our Christian life. I believe that, number one, it's because it's new. A lot of people don't know how to talk about it yet, which is why we are talking about it. But specifically, when we talk about the social element of robots, I think what is interesting to pull up, and you mentioned this, privacy, people don't necessarily realize everything that is happening. So we've mm -hmm. never really had a lot of opportunities in the past ever to really deeply understand and collect a person's emotional being. We've never been able to do that. So if you mm. think about what we can do right now, we can understand what you're doing on social media, and we can pick up certain aspects of how you might fill out as an emotional and social being. But when we start interacting in an intimate way, with these chatbots and revealing things in a digital format, this tells things uh, about our personhood, and we need to be conscious that we are putting mm -hmm. that type of information out into the world. And we also need to be understanding that the device that we are interacting with and that we are developing a social connection with would never have the ability to allow us to impact them. And in my mind, that is one of the strongest mm. relationship characteristics that Jesus instructs us to do, is impact people. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of it, too, when you talked about designing to deceive. And so I think a lot of this, and it is fairly new, and I think I had a conversation recently with a family member, and when they think about a phone, they don't think about what they actually have in their pocket, which is a computer. It's, they think about the old Nokias and stuff like that. And they don't think that the reason why you can say, Hey Siri, and it pops up 
is because it has a microphone of its own all the time. It makes sense to somebody who programs and you know, understands. That's how it has to work that way. It's not like they're trying to spy on you necessarily, but it's how the microphone works. And so the, it's, you see the light bulbs go off in people's eyes and they're like, oh, okay, that's how it's not magic. <laughs> it's actually designed to be a certain way. And it's also confusing. It's really confusing too. And then we have all these, if you're an Apple user, all these updates. And then we have stuff like Apple, the last iOS before the previous one, where they're like, we're not going to allow apps to track you anymore. Okay. And then they say they're going to survey all your photos and potentially open up a back door for the government to come in, which they haven't done before. So it's very confusing for people. And that kind of goes back to human nature where we're lazy and how many people actually read the, what's called the boilerplate agreements when they click, I agree. You're, you just entered into a legal contract, right? You said, I agree to these terms. Uh, and if you don't read all the fine print, which is very small and lengthy, and understand it, right? Should that be a thing that we are entering to contracts that we don't understand? And this is just how it works. I think a lot of these companies maybe didn't mean for it to be that way, but have just walked into, because it is new, an uncertain environment and taken advantage of our ignorance. I've learned a lot about legal theory and philosophy over the last several years. That really scares me about how we do all kinds of stuff in the U.S. and the contracts that we enter into. And if you've ever been taken advantage of in a legal situation, you understand that there's a lot open to interpretation. And especially dealing with a company that bleeds money, you better be concerned that you understand what you're entering into in this relationship. And and so, yeah, that, that bothers me a lot of times. That's why I'm Thinking about moving away from Apple and more towards Linux and trying to learn different computing languages and, and trying to educate people about things like DuckDuckGo and VPNs. Like I just I had a bunch of senior adults one, one Wednesday, we were talking about some of this stuff and I was like, how many of you use your Siri browser? And they're like, they all use it. It's like, why don't you just use this other one? How would they know that stuff unless somebody helped them see that. I think education is a big part of this conversation and it's an overwhelming task. Like you said, it's been a fast transition and it's getting faster. And so that's why I think this is an urgent conversation, why I published that book and why I continue to write on things, even though I don't want to anymore. It's just, we've got to get information out there at a much higher rate. That's what people understand. There's going to be a point of escalation and conflict where if we're not prepared, it could be very bad. One of the reasons this is so important for us to talk about now is to your point, because how fast this is moving. So the things that you and I are talking about right now are simply what has been productized. I'll give you an example. There are pieces of software out there that I can go to right now and really create a model of my voice. And I can use that model to create really any type of language and speech document that I want. Supposedly that's just for me, but what if someone hacks that? The technology is moving 
so much faster than we can build regulations for and that we can build ethics for. And so as a Christian community, if you want to have a voice in this, if you want to understand it, the time is now to really start understanding this and, and having a voice in it, I believe. I wouldn't say that people don't care. I think they do care. They don't feel like they can do anything about it. They don't I think a lot of people feel like they've let go of their control of it. But I don't think it's too late or anything like that. I think it's just being aware of what's out there and getting involved in public policy and conversation. It really does matter what the public says about certain technology, what our views are. I mean, that's the reason why you don't have drones bringing packages to your door is because it's not publicly acceptable. It's it's the reason why genetically modified foods are not acceptable in parts of Europe, but they're acceptable in the U.S. And so when we have these conversations openly and we give them plenty of time to bring in experts and different people, I think it can be a very positive thing. I think in a democracy, unless we participate, it doesn't work. Something that I want to dive into that you specifically write an entire book about. I think it's something that needs a little bit of explanation behind. And I want you to Mm -hmm. dive into that because I think it's a little deeper, but I think it's something that is interesting Mm -hmm. to understand. Sure. Yeah, I think the first thing that I really struggled with when I started asking that question was, are, are humans and persons the same thing? And I think a lot of people categorically in their mind, you say person, you mean human. And we use that word synonymously. I'm a person. And yes, you are. But from a legal perspective, there are different types of persons. And even from a philosophical perspective, there are different categories for how we think about that. There are moral persons. You and I, we're moral persons. And we can also be moral patients. So we can be the recipients of harm. We can cause harm. We can be the recipients of rights, legal rights, or we can violate those rights and so on. But in the legal world, there's a lot more, there's a lot more up at arm, so to speak, than a lot of people believe. Like the law is not black and white. Like I thought it was. It's not, it's not simply like you, you go to law school and there's so much so many complicated components to it. And so I found a book by a legal scholar named Jacob Turner, which I highlight in the book. Great guy. And he really wrote the pivotal work on why legal personality is what it's called, or legal personhood, is an important step. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is the autonomous aspect of AI and uh, robotics that were that I'm discussing in the book. So before I get into that, let me just explain what the different types of personhood are and briefly, just so people know that there those categories do exist. And I will go more in depth into this from a different perspective in my current book that I'm writing called Robot Theology. And so when I think about personhood and understand that there's moral personhood, which is granted to humans Right now in the U.S., it's not granted until a certain stage in pregnancy. Okay, that is a different category, I would argue, than, say, a legal person. So a legal person, it's just a way of attributing certain legal claims to a piece of property. So there might be a reason to grant 
a legal status to a statute that we want to protect. It, it can't be destroyed, or if it is, then legal action will be taken. And that kind of goes back to the ambiguity of, of some of the law. And so the complexity that lawyers live in day to day, but we don't live in that world. So it's a little bit different and understand. And, and there's other types that you could really go into, but I think legal person is the most important just to keep it streamlined. And there's some great books out there that kind of explore this, why we might grant rights to the environment, why we protect certain animals. I can't go buy a bald eagle. Why? Because they're endangered. And so they might, there might be some necessary reason to give it rights and claims. Does that make it a human person? No. And will granting certain legal rights to robots make them human? No. Should we see them as human? Not necessarily. I would argue that we shouldn't, that it, they are theologically different. And so it's not that I think that we'll, we'll ever get to a, a place where we have C-3PO or anything like that, but that we're trying to to the best of our ability, put in pieces to legally protect humanity from itself in many ways. And that, that might mean legal rights. There's all kinds of complications with this because companies are incentivized to use AI. And so what happens when there's a responsibility gap? What happens when insurance doesn't want to pay out for negligence or liability? And we can't just default to how current models work because you know, sometimes people ask me, okay, what's the difference between a robot and a toaster? What's your, you want to grant rights to a toaster? I'm like, no, the difference would be I'm thinking about machines that it made on some level an autonomous decision. And we can't understand why that decision was made. It's interrupted the line of causation. And we might actually need to account for both the human actor and the, the robot, they might be both equally at fault. And every person in the legal world will tell you that's that causes a lot of difficulty. And it's just easier to say, oh, just blame the humans, just blame the company or the corporation. But that has problems as well, because then you're stunting innovation. There might be a really important biological piece of biological technology that we can't produce because of that right there. And so do we want to go down that path? That's a question we need to ask. But legal personhood is a thing. It's not, can a robot be granted personhood? It's, should it be granted personhood? And that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around if you're not familiar with it. I understand that. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we're looking for is perspective and understanding. And you've obviously done a ton of research in this specific area. So... I appreciate your perspective. Regardless, though, I do think this is an area for us to look into and understand, even if not for right now, for a few years down the future, because as we've talked about, this stuff is moving really fast. Dr. Smith, I just want to thank you for coming on. It has been amazing to have you on this episode. It has been really neat to have your perspective of someone that has been through seminary, pastoring a small Baptist church. And that's just not something that mm -hmm. you run across every day. And so thank you so much for coming on. It has been my pleasure. I appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us as we explore more about who Jesus is. So much in our society has been influenced by his life in some way. Something I think about is that if I wanted to be the best painter I could possibly be, 
I would probably find the best painter in history to pattern after, maybe Leonardo da Vinci. If I wanted to create a really cool computer company, I would probably follow Steve Jobs. Plus, I don't know, apples are my favorite fruit, so that sort of makes sense. If I wanted to live the best life I possibly could, not just a good life, not even just a great life, but the best life, I would try to find someone who lived life perfectly. The only person I know of who has done that is Jesus. If you heard something today you're curious about, you have questions on, or you simply want to learn how to apply the message that Jesus gave us to your own life, I invite you to reach out. You can contact us just by going to our page at befundbecon.com forward slash Jesus taught me that. I'll see you on the next episode.